0: Welcome to Daily Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Each day we walk through the vital principles of the abundant life. Our Lord can do above and beyond all we ask or think. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Disappointment is the primary emotion of our day. John Cheever once said the main emotion of the adult American who has had all of the advantages of wealth education, and culture is disappointment. It's called the Paris effect. That's what psychiatrists call it. Named after the disappointment first-time visitors feel when they visit a faraway city like Paris for the first time. And the actual Paris does not live up to the city of their dreams and expectations. They had set their sights so high. Their expectations for the city of light were so high That when they see that beautiful city of Paris, it still does not live up to their expectations. This disappointment leads people to anger, depression, insomnia, irritability. The only cure, it seems, is a one-way ticket back out of Paris. They are disappointed. And disappointment is the overriding emotion of our day. Yet let me take this up a notch. What if you're not disappointed with life? You're not disappointed with your surroundings. You're not even disappointed with others, but you're disappointed with God. Philip Yancey, I think, does us all a service. He writes books about real people with real problems and real struggles. Simply put, he gets transparent and real. One of his first books was called Where is God When It Hurts? He said that letters from readers encouraged him in this vein of writing. One of the readers said, when it comes to God, I feel something like betrayal. That forced him to dig deeper, and another book emerged, Disappointment with God. Three questions no one asks aloud. What were those questions that Yancey wrote about? If God is so hungry for relationship with us, why does he seem so distant? If God cares for us, Why do bad things happen? Then the third question, if God's promises are true, why do they feel so far off from my personal experience? Each question begins with, if God, and then ask a question, why? Help, I'm disappointed with God. And that's where we are in our week's theme, faith for these troubled times. I think all of us wrestle with disappointment now and then. Few of us would lay that disappointment on God. We are more likely to lay the blame squarely at someone else's feet, and maybe in a rare moment even admit that we ourselves caused the issue. But somewhere nagging in our hearts and minds, we say, God, I took you at your word. Why is this happening to me? God, if you truly care about me, why didn't you show up when I cried out? Oh, we rarely come out and say it. We'll say other things like I'm struggling with some issues or I'm just having a bad day or maybe I've experienced a rough patch. What we rarely vocalize is that we're disappointed with God. We expected God to do one thing and he didn't. In fact, it seems he did the exact opposite. James said we ask and don't receive because we ask amiss. We have errant expectations. We have an unclear understanding of what God wants in our lives. We hear God speak. We think one thing, God does another. Isaiah 55 says God's thoughts are not man's thoughts. How God sees something is not how we usually see the same thing. Let me introduce two biblical characters for your consideration. First is the weeping prophet Jeremiah. To say the name is to conjure images of this despised servant who was thrown into a pit. The prophet whose writings were cut up and burned by a resistant king. The forgotten oracle and voice that aroused so much hatred and venom in his day. From those who simply desired the status quo, who wanted things to go on as they had always gone on. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet. Jeremiah was the one who finally came to the place. Okay, I'm done. I'm not going to open my mouth again. I've spoken on behalf of God, but where has it got me? I'm despised. I'm rejected. I'm alone. But to hold his peace was not sustainable. He said it was like a fire shut up in my bones. Each time God spoke to me, I had to speak. A curious phrase appears in the writings of Jeremiah. Here's the phrase, a second time. In the very first chapter of Jeremiah, we read, the word of the Lord came to me a second time. In the 13th chapter of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came unto me the second time. But it's the final use of this phrase in Jeremiah that draws my attention today. Jeremiah 33 and 1, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah the second time, while he was yet shut up in the court of the prison. Can I draw out two thoughts here from the life of Jeremiah? That God speaks to those who hear. He speaks if you're willing to listen. Scripture opens with God being heard and not seen. The voice that spoke light into darkness. The voice that created the entire cosmos out of chaos. The voice that scattered stars into the night sky. The voice that separates land from water. The voice that speaks life, plant life, marine life, animal life into existence. The voice that communed with Adam and Eve. Jeremiah initially resisted God's voice, but God touched his mouth and the prophet became God's voice to his people. And Jeremiah believed. His beliefs were so strong he had convictions to match those beliefs. To be the voice God wanted him to be. Jeremiah was forbidden to marry, have children, go to weddings and funerals. He wasn't permitted to go to parties or even to be in the company of people who jested. Based on the content of his message, it's doubtful he was on the invite list to anybody's party anyway. His head was in the clouds and his home was located on Stick in the Mud Boulevard. This was the man who heard what God said and repeated it all. And for that, the persecution came. He's thrown in the muck and mire of an abandoned cistern. He's mocked, ridiculed, persecuted, but still he believes. He believes and he speaks what God is saying to him. He's locked up in prison for days, weeks, months, and years. God doesn't come visiting often, doesn't seem to check on him. Jeremiah is bound and God's first voice seems a million miles away. Have you ever felt that way? We grow disappointed with God. So the Lord's word comes a second time. God speaks again so we can believe again. The only cure, it seems, is to dare to believe again. Jeremiah's difficulty is not that he misheard God. He was speaking God's message, but he didn't know the timing of God. When exactly would it happen? Because we misunderstand the timing of God, we miss so many miracles. There are miracles reserved for tomorrow. Leave them there. There are miracles that should have happened yesterday. Leave them there. They're like yesterday's manna. They will spoil. Ask God for the miracles in the moment. What is God doing now? Believe again. And the word of the Lord came unto him a second time. And what did God say to Jeremiah this second time? Jeremiah 33 and 3, one of our favorite verses. Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God speaks a second time to say, call to me a second time. This time, I will show you something that will stagger you. I'm speaking a second time to you, Jeremiah. I'm not asking you this time to speak for me. I'm asking you to call to me, call on me, and I will answer you. I will show things to you that will amaze you and boggle your mind. It's here that Jeremiah begins to see that his nation will arise from captivity. He saw a restoration, a restored people, a restored faith and nation. He was privileged to look into the future and see what God was doing far beyond his lifetime. When God speaks a second time, stir yourself from your disappointment. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. That's what Jeremiah reveals to us. The word of the Lord came a second time. There's a second character in the Bible. I've told you about the weeping prophet, but let me tell you about this second man, the man of sorrows. In the book on prayer, I describe that moment that Jesus stands outside of his friend's tomb, Lazarus. Do you remember Jesus describing his ministry in life? Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus didn't own a house. He didn't have a roof over his head. He was itinerant, set apart, as were the prophets of old. But there was one place he felt welcome in Bethany at Lazarus' house. Lazarus made Jesus and his disciples feel so much at home. Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, fussed about and ushered in such a spirit of hospitality. If there was one place Jesus felt something like rest, it was there, at Lazarus' home. But now his friend was dead, dead four days, buried, and Jesus stands outside of the grave and weeps. He wept. In the book on prayer, I talked about his groaning in the spirit that day, but here I just want to speak about his weeping. He wept over losing his friend. He wept in disappointment. He who had spoken this beautiful world into existence, the world was so broken, so messed up. One lie, a temptation, a fall, and death entered into the world. And now it had touched the only home Jesus had in Bethany. It touched one of his few close friends who never asked him for anything, who was always willing to give of himself Lazarus. Take a moment. Picture Jesus, just weeks from Calvary, weeping over death, weeping over the weeping of Mary and Martha, weeping over sin and brokenness and sickness and misery. And any time you're disappointed with God, I want you to remember this. God does not always give us answers, but he always gives us himself. He's with us in our sorrows. He's the man of sorrows who's acquainted with grief. He's near to us, so close to us. He offers us his nail-scarred hands. He shows us his pierced side. He does it as if to say, I know how you feel. I too was wounded in the house of my friends. But one day I want to promise you something. This darkness will pass. The stone will roll away and I will dry your tears. It's as if Jesus says, right now, I know how you feel. I know you feel like giving up on me, but I want you to know this. I've not given up on you. First John five. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. Don't stop expecting great things from God. Some people have. They've collected disappointments like faded daisies on a chain. They're afraid to dream again, to hope again, to love again. They're too weary to reach, stretch, or broaden their horizons. Don't be like those people. Quit blaming your yesterday. Unleash the hope of tomorrow. By dreaming again, believing again, praying again, trying again, hope again. You've experienced disappointment, but you have an appointment with God. Make that rendezvous with your destiny. Have faith in the unseen hand of God and in the character of God who promised to always be there with you. Reach out to him in faith and say, God, I'm a little disappointed right now, but I believe that I have an appointment with you, that I have a rendezvous with you. And all is going to be well if I can just get in the presence of the Lord. Dare to dream again and have faith again. Thank you for sharing in daily devotion with Ken Gurley. We pray this ministry has been a source of encouragement and strength to you. Please be mindful that your financial support enables us to meet with you each day. To give a donation or connect with us, visit our website at kengurley.com. There you will also find the latest books, podcasts, and resources. Blessed, 90 Days to Change Your World is Pastor Gurley's latest book. You can get your copy of this life-changing book at kengurley.com. May God's favor rest on you in every way until we meet again.